Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. Today I have an author interview with Chanel Clayton. Yes, she is back. The very first interview that was ever done on Book Bistro was with Chanel Clayton. And several years later, she is back to talk with us about her latest novel, Our Last Days in Barcelona. And then, of course, I have new releases for you. So let's get started with the housekeeping information, and then we'll get into it. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am chatting with the woman who was our very first interview back in 2019. Sonella Clayton is back on Book Bistro today, and we are talking about her latest novel, Our Last Days in Barcelona, which is releasing in the U.S. on May 24th. Chanel, I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I always have such a great time when I'm here, and I'm just so thrilled to have a chance to chat with you about this book. Yes. So can we start with a brief introduction to our last days in Barcelona so that listeners know a little bit about what to expect? Sure. So our last days in Barcelona is Isabel Perez's story. Um, it picks up where when we left Cuba left, left off. So it starts in the 1960s and 1964. And Isabel's sister Beatrice has disappeared and she's been living in Barcelona. And so Isabel travels to Barcelona in search of her sister. And then while she's there, she sort of uncovers these family secrets that she was unaware of and goes on this incredible journey of her own. And her story is really juxtaposed against her mother's story. So we travel back in time to 1936 to Barcelona. And we learn about Alicia Perez, who's the Perez um, sister's mother and who's kind of showed up in my other books as sort of a background character. But this time we get her story um, from her perspective. And she has just come to Barcelona from Cuba uh, with her young daughter, Isabel. And um, it's the beginning of the Spanish Civil War that's that's starting to break out. So she's in Barcelona during this time and um, kind of navigating war and exile um, in, in the 30s. So it's really an opportunity to kind of meet um, the, these two family members from their their own perspective. You know, we've seen them in Next Year in Havana and when we left Cuba, um, but it's really their time to kind of shine and to learn more about them. And then we also meet a new Perez ancestor named Rosa, 
who is in Cuba in the 1930s and her story intersects um, with the other two. And we get a bit of a glimpse of sort of the political life in Cuba um, in the 1930s as well. So it was a really special book for me to write. It's sort of a family reunion. You kind of see a lot of characters from my previous novels make appearances um, and get to kind of revisit where they are in their lives. But also it's a good entry point. If you haven't read the other Perez family stories, you can kind of jump right in and get this new perspective on the family and this kind of whole new adventure that they go through. I love how all of these books kind of tie together, not in a way that says, you know, oh my gosh, you can't you know, read these out of order, but in a way where like when you have read them all, you kind of see like the continuity um, of how the characters relate to one another. Yes. I mean, I definitely want to make sure that readers feel like every book can be an entry point for them, Um, because I know for me, it's hard, you know, when you are reading a huge series, you want to be able to kind of pick up at different points. Um, So I try to make sure they all kind of stand alone in that way. But I also love the idea of sort of following this family through history and getting to look at um, different kind of pivotal historical events in Cuban-American history through their eyes and from their perspective. Um, And I think I just have, you know, kind of an emotional attachment you know, to them after having written so many books about this family and the different generations. So it's always nice to, you know, the time with them. So did you know kind of from the beginning that Isabel's story is one that you wanted to tell? Or did you kind of come to that after you'd written, you know, some of the other books and got to know a little bit more kind of about who this family was and perhaps, you know, what some of their experiences might have been? So that's a great question. And Isabel's story really came to me from the readers. Um, I will be honest, I had not intended to tell her story. Um, and really, if I even go back in time, I hadn't intended to go past Elisa. Um, when I was writing Next Year in Havana, I really just envisioned that I was maybe telling her story. But then, of course, as soon as I introduced Beatrice, um, uh, she Beatrice. Was just, yes, yes, she was such a forceful yes. character um, that, you know, as soon as she came onto the page, fairly early on in Next Year in Havana, I knew that I wanted to tell her story. So I actually stopped writing Next Year in Havana to write that first chapter of When We Left Cuba because it was just so loud in my head. Um, And then I kind of set that aside and was like, okay, I need to go back to Next Year in Havana. But I knew, you know, that I wanted to write Beatrice's story next. Um, But with Isabel, it was a little bit more difficult because, you know, I had spent so much time in Beatrice's head in When We Left Cuba and they're the two sisters that kind of are the most at odds. You know, they they love each other very much. They're very close. They're the closest in age, um, but they're the two eldest. But um, they definitely, you know, have different personalities, come at things very differently. And so oftentimes, you know, when I was writing When We Left Cuba and I was in Beatrice's head, she was, you know, at odds with her sister and there was this big conflict. And so, you know, you get a little bit, you're very connected to the character you're writing. And I was seeing things from Beatrice's perspective and it was hard to imagine making that shift into um, Isabel's head. But I started getting all these messages and kind of comments from readers asking me if I had plans to tell, you know, the other Perez sister stories. And as I continued writing books, I had The Last Train to Key West and The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba. You know, I I kept kind of coming back to this idea and I kept hearing from readers that they wanted more of the sisters. Um, And so I really started to think about Isabel's story and how I would um, come at that and what it what time period it would be set in where it would be set and kind of what felt like a natural evolution for her character and that's when I I came up with the idea for our last days in Barcelona so it was probably 2019 I think that I kind of pitched it to my editor 
and my agent and then started working on it. And, you know, as soon as I got into her head, as soon as I was really able to connect with her character and sort of think of all the things that she'd been through in her life, you know, the challenges that she faced and the way that she kind of approached them, um, I really fell in love with her character. She was someone who very much snuck up on me. You know, Beatrice kind of demanded to have her story be told, whereas Isabel kind of snuck up on me um, with her personality. But I really, by the end of our last days in Barcelona, just absolutely adored her. Um, I think she's kind of my favorite Perez sister at the moment. Um, but it was really just an incredible experience and one that, you know, I have to thank the readers for because I probably would never have written her book if not for, you know, their curiosity and enthusiasm and support for for the sisters and for the family. So you had said that Isabel is kind of your your favorite of the sisters at the moment. Has your favorite kind of shifted from book to book? Or is there one that kind of always stands out to you as one that you think like you have kind of that special connection with? It, It does shift, if I'm being honest. I think just because, you know, when we write these novels, you spend so much time researching writing, editing, you know, you really live with these characters um, for years. And so it just becomes such a close bond and such a close connection. And, you know, going through the novels with them, you're really going through kind of their high and low points in life. Um, and so it's, it's really just impossible to not feel kind of very emotionally invested in their welfare. So I do think, um, you know, you kind of have that favorite when you're writing them. But I also think there's different things about their personalities that speak to me. Um, so Beatrice always was kind of um, a, a show stealer. You know, even in Next Year in Havana, when I was writing from Elisa's perspective, there was always something so fun about getting to put Beatrice into scenes because she has such a big personality. She's so bold. Yes. Daring, and, you know, she's kind of an aspirational character. Like, I think we all can look at, you know, parts of her personality and think, oh, I wish I was, you know, more like Beatrice. Um, I certainly, you know, feel that way at times. So there's different things I love um, about each one of them. And, and that kind of carries over through all of the books, I think. So shifting gears just a little bit to kind of talk about the whole like Perez family tree and how this kind of intertwines um, all of these characters. Is that hard for you to, to keep straight? Like, do you have this all written out somewhere so that you know, like how all these people kind of tie into one another? So that is another thing I have to thank readers for. Um, I think about a few books back, I started getting some requests for a family tree and um, really loved that idea. And my publisher was really excited about it. So they started putting family trees in my books. I think the first book that has it is The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba. And then I think they're going back and putting them into like the subsequent editions that get published of the earlier ones. Um, But that definitely is really helpful. And I really appreciated readers um, making that suggestion because I know it's easier too when you can kind of flip in the book and see how everyone is connected. Um, So that's, that's really been kind of what I use to keep track of, of everyone and kind of look at um, what time period I'm going to write in and how I'm going to, you know, work the family into that, that moment in history and which family members would be appropriate to bring into that story based on where they'd be in their lives. It's really interesting because I've read all of your books um, as audiobooks, and so obviously okay. um, they don't do the the family tree, you know, in mm-hmm. in audio. And so I did not know that that existed. Yes, I have it on my website too. Um, it's in my book club guides um, that my publisher puts together for. Um, and like I said, I think the first one we started doing it was Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba. So it's just in the 
the last two books. Um, okay. Yeah, I try to put it it's on my website as well. Um, and it's nice. They'll put like the book that each character's in, um, as well as the tree. So you can kind of see like, okay, the next year in heaven is Elisa's story and, and that sort of thing. So you have written five books now um, with this family. Will we be seeing more of them or is this kind of a good like stopping point for you? So that's a great question, too, and something I'm always kind of, um, you know, deciding on and, and sort of working through. You know, right now I have the five books that feature them. My next book does not feature a Perez family member. Um, I just finished writing it and I just turned it into my editor. Um, it still Ooh. focuses on. Yes, <laughs> it's always a good feeling when you get to send that in. Um, so, yes, I just turned that in, I guess, a couple months ago and I'm, I'll be getting edits back soon. Um, but that one does not feature a Perez family member. It's still um, historical fiction. It still has. Cuban American history tied into it, um, but that's one that um, does not have a, a Perez character. And I'm getting ready to kind of send over my thoughts for my next book after that to um, my publisher and to my editor. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of playing. I think for right now, um, I'm going to kind of explore some other characters, um, but definitely one of those things where I could see myself revisiting the Perez family down the road um, just because you know I've enjoyed writing them so much. Maria's story is still kind of out there, um, untold. So that's definitely true have in the back of my mind of, of perhaps revisiting at some point. So can you tell us anything about what your next book will be? So my next book is set in the 1930s, uh, 1934, and it is based on a true story. Um, it's based on the story of the Morrow Castle, which is a cruise ship that would sail from New York. It took a round trip, seven day cruise from New York to Havana, and oh. um, it catches fire on the way back. And it's oh a God. really tragic, yes, it's a, it's a really sad story um, of what happens to the ship. And so I have two characters who are on the ship. Um, and there's a lot of intrigue with this book, um, a lot of suspense, and, and their stories kind of intertwine in unexpected ways um, aboard the ship. Okay, I will definitely be keeping an eye out for this. I'm guessing like we're expecting it in, in 2023 spring, yes, maybe? Yes, I think it'll be May. I usually have a May release, um, so I think it'll be May 2023. And I've seen cover concept art and we have a title and everything, but I just can't share stuff yet. Um, but uh, I'm guessing okay. we'll, we'll probably release a cover, I would think, in early fall, like maybe September-ish seems to be my my schedule. So I think on, um, on Goodreads, I think it says like untitled. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I think when the deal came through, you know, someone put it up on Goodreads. Um, but yeah, we haven't, the title has changed since what the working title was. Um, so I haven't shared that yet. Well, that, that's fair, I suppose. <laughs> it's always hard because you never know how much you can share and not like, I always am so excited to talk about my, book, my books. But I'm like, well, I should probably, you know, wait and see. So Did they give you like sort of guidelines on like how much you can share or is that something that kind of evolves like as the release gets closer? Um, I think it just kind of depends. I mean, no, we don't really get guidelines and, you know, every book kind of is different. Every publisher is different. Every author has different kind of approaches to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, we just figure it out, but I, I tend to like what we tend to do is when we release my cover, we also release the title and the blurb um, all at once. So it's kind of like you get everything about the book at one time. You get everything. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we've been traditionally doing. So I've just stuck with that for the most part. Because I've heard people say, you know, kind of like you um, just did, like, oh, and I'm not sure, like, how much I can share, but I think I can say, you know, this or this. So I've always just kind of wondered, like, 
you know, does, is there somebody that sort of oversees that? And no, I mean, nothing official or anything. No, um, I think it's just okay. all of us trying our best to, to navigate as we go. Um, and I will say, you know, honestly, books change a lot in edits, you know, and I think that's Word. Part of why authors sometimes will be hesitant because, um, particularly our last days in Barcelona, um, I changed a lot in edits. So the book that I described pre-edits is not necessarily the book that is um, coming out in May. So that's part of it, too, is, you know, we kind of all know that the story's going to evolve. The characters might change. You know, you never know. So That part of the process has always been really intriguing to me. Like the book that you first see in your head and the book that is sort of your first draft, you know, is is often, from what I understand, you know, after talking to people, not the book that we get, you know, not mm-hmm. the book that actually is on the shelf. And I just think that's such a fascinating process, like how things kind of morph into this new story that perhaps has, you know, common themes with like mm-hmm. what you originally envisioned, but is like different in in so many ways that readers never really you know, get to know about because like, obviously we only see sort of that finished project, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. you don't see all the stuff that goes into it. And like, people will say, oh, and then I wrote this and then I had to, you know, take out 200 pages. And I always yes, find myself yes. thinking like, oh, I wonder like what was in the 200 pages? <laughs> yeah, I know the editorial process is huge. I mean, it really makes a difference. Um, and I'm so fortunate. I have been with my editor now for I think eight years, um, because I wrote romance before I wrote historical fiction. She was my romance editor. um, And we just have like the best relationship and I trust her so much. And she always has such great insights with my book. So it's so nice to kind of have, you know, that collaborative approach where you're working with someone who knows your writing really well, you know, knows your characters, is really passionate about them. And you can kind of go back and forth and really um, trust them to make suggestions and things that make the book that much better. Um, it's a really, really important relationship and one I've just been so grateful for. Do you ever sort of struggle to kind of let go of the original vision that you had when writing the book and kind of then like being open to what those new insights might be or is that something that's become easier as you know you've you've written more and more um I think you know just going back to kind of how I said the longevity of the relationship you know we've done so many books together now um I think we've done 11 together maybe and so I really I just trust her so much and she I know she knows what my intent is I know she understands my voice um and so I know anything she's saying is just going to make the book better and you know, I think as a writer, you kind of have to wear two different hats. I mean, you have to sort of be your biggest advocate in a way, and you have to have a lot of confidence in your writing when you're doing those drafts, just because, you know, it's intimidating sometimes to sit down at the computer and have a blank screen and just start creating something. And so you have to kind of be free in that process and and feel comfortable. But then I also think, you know, there's times that I have to put the hat on where I'm my harshest critic, and I have to be able to just completely pick the book apart. Um, to make it, you know, what it needs to be. And that often, you know, means getting criticism or constructive criticism with suggestions of how to rework the novel. Um, and, you know, also it is a collaborative process. So I know, you know, a lot of editors, if, if something's really important to you or if you kind of make a case for why this is a way, um, you know, they aren't going to necessarily make you change something if, if you feel passionately and you can make it work. I mean, it really is um, a partnership and, and you're both working together with the same goal in mind. Um, but no, I, I honestly don't have a hard time with that just because 
I've never been led astray, knock on wood. Um, every time she makes a suggestion, I always come out of it saying this is so much better than it was before. And I'm so grateful, you know, for her insight. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's not even that we get to where she thought we needed to go. We'll end up somewhere completely different. But in challenging me to look at the book differently and to acknowledge that something's not working, then we can kind of get to a different point than even she or I anticipated, but that we're both much happier with. So sometimes it's kind of like that, too. So I'm guessing that a lot of this would depend on the relationship that, you know, an author is able to form with a specific editor. Like I've heard of people who say, you know, that they don't have the same editor you know, for like years at a time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm guessing then that that would be a lot harder because you don't have that sort of built in like trust that Mm -hmm. you have forged with this person. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's challenging and there's definitely turnover in publishing. And, and so it is hard. A lot of people do end up with different editors. Um, You know, sometimes personalities just don't mesh or editing style and um, author style might not mesh. And and that absolutely happens. Um, and, And it is really personal. I mean, it's hard when you've worked so long on a book and you do have this vision to kind of turn it over to someone and, and trust um, that they're going to understand and respect that vision. Um, so it's, it's definitely, you know, I think kind of a delicate balance, but I will say I'm just incredibly grateful. I've been so fortunate with both my agent and my editor who I've been with basically since the start of my career um, that they're both just very much um, kind of very similar to me in, in our styles and our approaches. And I just have great relationships with both of them. And I don't ever take for granted that that has been a huge um, part of, you know, any success that I've had, because I think if I had not had those people in my corner advising me and um, collaborating with me, it would have been a very different story. So I'm shifting gears once again um, to talk about the process for creating your audiobooks, um, because as I said, that's how I have read have I read all of them yes all of them in audio and so I'm just curious to know how much input you have like you get to pick your narrators um and have you kind of made you know a decision about like people that you you know that you would like to see kind of in those roles or do you tend to leave that more to you know the the publishers and the the creators of the audiobook to decide so that really has varied for me. And, and, you know, I'll be honest, everything with publishing is is different based on, you know, everyone has kind of their own experiences. Um, I've had different publishers for my audiobooks. Um, so sometimes I've not been really consulted. Other times I have been. Um, it, it really just depends. Um, I would say, you know, I'm not super involved. I mean, they'll often send me now they kind of send me audio samples and they'll ask if I'm OK with um with the people who are reading, I will be honest, I don't listen to a ton of books on audio. So I don't feel like I have um, enough knowledge that I'm confident to say like, what is a good audio narrator or not. Um, so oh, okay. I tend to kind of um, defer to the publisher on that and to who they work with often. Um, you know, it's important to me that it's authentic to the characters um, and that, you know, it, it kind of brings the book to life. But beyond that, um, it's really not something I've ever been super involved with. Um, just because often, you know, that is something that's really in the publisher's hands and they deal with the production and all of that. So have you heard any of your audiobooks? 
I've heard snippets. I will be honest, so I can't read my books um, and I can't <laughs> listen to them. It makes me really self-conscious, I think. Um, so I've heard snippets, but I know I cannot listen. I would I would have a hard time listening to like the whole thing um, just because I don't know, like I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. And so I'm sure there are things that I will listen to and be like, oh, I wish I could change that. But of course you can't because, you know, <laughs> fucked out in the world now. Um, so it's just a little anxiety inducing for me. Um, and it's, you know, it's like with readings, like I'll read small sections or um, honestly, even before the book's finished, like when I'm proofreading is when I pull my quotes for the teasers I do and like the excerpts I share. Cause and, yes. and at that point I can still catch like a typo or something. Um Cause yeah, it is, it is kind of a weird thing once it's like out in the world and, and you can't, you know, really do much about it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do get a little self-conscious, I'll be honest. I would assume that like you hear kind of these people in your head, like you, you know, at least in your mind, like what you think each of these people kind of sounds like. Mm-hmm. So I was just curious if like when you've heard the audiobooks, like does that usually if not, you know, match 100%, but does that usually end up feeling um, like an authentic representation? I mean, it does, but I also think audio kind of feels like a, a very specific skill set in terms of the way that they're reading the characters um, to kind of make it like mm-hmm. a cohesive book because they're doing both narration and um, dialogue. And so I kind of look at it, I think, a little bit differently. Um, you know, when I hear my characters, I hear them as people when I think of an audiobook, I think of it as kind of reading my book aloud almost. So it's like a little bit of a different, um, because they're both reading the characters' voices and also kind of my inner voice as, as the author, if that makes sense. I think people approach audio, you know, in a lot of different ways. It's like some people really like the whole, you know, like dual narration where you have like a male voice reading the male di- dialogue and a female voice reading the female dialogue. Like there are so many ways mm-hmm. that audio is produced and so many preferences that individual like audiobook readers have. Um, and so I think it does kind of fill a lot of different needs for a lot of different people. No, I think that's very true. And I, I have a mix. Um, so my romances are audiobooks now, and I do have a male narrator who reads um, the male characters and then a female narrator who reads the female characters. Um, with my historical fiction, it's usually just the main characters um, that are represented right. in the audiobook. So I, I have I have a different um, mix as well. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I mean, I find it really interesting to kind of see all the different approaches, to see the behind the scenes process. Um, but it's one of those things I don't feel as confident about my knowledge of, I guess. So I kind of leave that to the experts um, and I'm happy just to, to sort of see what they come up with for the finished product. Um, I actually went back and got um, the romances that, you know, hadn't been available in audio mm-hmm. right away um, when I saw that they were available because um, that is my, my primary mode of reading. Um, I do eBooks as well, mm-hmm. but if I can get something in audio, I usually will. Um, so I did go ahead and pick this up. And I was very glad to see that they went back and like did your, your backlist Yes, yes, that was exciting. And I think that's part of it, too, with me with audio is it, it is a bit of a newer thing for me. I mean, I've been published since 2014, but the first book that went into audio for me was Next Year in Havana, um, which was in 18. So, you know, it was something where for quite a few years I didn't have any audio books and then kind of um, started having them put my books into audio, which was really exciting. Have you, Has that brought you like a different um, kind of cross section of, of readership, do you think? 
I think so. I mean, I definitely um, feel, especially with Next Year in Havana, um, because Reese's Book Club has um, had at the time a, a partnership with, I believe it was Audible. Um, so a lot of audiobook readers came into my books that way that maybe wouldn't have um, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise read them. And so, yes, it's been really wonderful um, to connect with with different readers. And I love hearing, you know, I feel like readers are so passionate about the different mediums that they read on. And so it's really interesting to kind of see that represented Um and to get that sense of, you know, how they're enjoying your books and how they're interacting. And I think in a way you get a slightly different experience with each medium. I know when I read on ebook or when I read in print, it's a little bit of a different experience for me. Um, so it's just kind of fascinating to me how that that works for readers. Speaking of your own reading, what have you read recently that you think people should know about? So I've been really lucky with some amazing um, historical fiction arcs that I've gotten to read recently. Um, and some of them are coming up. Yes. <laughs> no, that's always one of the best parts of the job. I love getting to read um, books that are going to be published for, and, and getting to kind of see like sneak peeks of what's coming up. Um, so I, some one that's coming in July that I really loved was uh, Sister Mother Warrior by Vanessa Riley. And it's set oh, in I love Vanessa Riley. Yes, I do. So Island Queen was one of my favorites. And so, yes, (laughs) it was so good. Um, And I think I contacted her like, do you have an arc of of Sister Mother Warriors? And she was so nice. And she sent me um, a copy to read. Um, But it was amazing. It's set during the Haitian Revolution and highlights two real life women who were um, involved and just a really incredible story. So I definitely recommend that one. I think it's out in July. And then... um, I read Mademoiselle Revolution by Zoe Sivak, which is a debut novel, um, and it is set during the Haitian and French revolutions. And so that was a really interesting read. Um, I think it's out in August, like I said. And then. Yeah, I think that one is a little later in the summer than the yes. Riley. Yes, I think it's the a month after. Um, but that one was incredible as well. Um, and then Kristen Beck's The Winter Orphans is coming out in September. And that was really beautiful. I loved it. Did you read her debut, Courage My Love? Yes. I love that one. Yes. So this one's amazing as well. I I think readers are really going to connect. It's really powerful. Um, It's the story of um, the evacuation of Jewish children by the Swedish Red Cross um, in Nazi-occupied France. And it's a really emotional, powerful story. So I definitely recommend that one as well. It's amazing to me how many like different lenses people have used to write World War II stories. Like I always feel like there's still something as much as I've read about World War II, like there's still so much I feel like we don't know. Mm -hmm. So many different perspectives that people are finding to kind of enter that period of history. Yes, no, I I agree. And and that was one of the things I loved about Courage, my love, was I had not really read much about World War II in Italy. Um, And so I found it really interesting getting that perspective from her with her debut. And then this book, I hadn't read about this either. Um, So it was really interesting to kind of um, learn about this and and go through the story. It's, It's a really beautiful story. Jennifer Robson had a book. Yes, yes uh, The Darkest Night, I think. Yeah, I, I read that one and night. I loved it as yes. well. Yes, yes. And that was another kind of like Italy mm-hmm. uh, centered World War II story. Yes. I think I my love favorite that. from her though is The Gown. Yes, that is another, that is also a favorite of mine. Um, I loved that one as well. Like all of the like stuff, you know, leading up to like the royal wedding and then like mm-hmm. the seamstresses. I just, I thought that was so well done. 
Yeah, no, she she writes incredible. I love her historical fiction. I've been reading her kind of since I started writing historical fiction, um, and she always writes the best books. Yes, I think she will have one in 2023. I think I saw, but I haven't seen any um, like details about it. Yeah. I think I just saw like that it exists. I don't know how much she shared it. We have the same agent, um, so okay. I kind of get lucky to read her stuff early sometimes. Um, and I don't know how much she shared about it yet, but yes, I'm I'm excited for that one. It sounds amazing. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for once again taking time to chat with me and to let my listeners know more about you and your writing and what we can expect from this book and then kind of what's coming up for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always love coming on the podcast and I'm just so grateful for all of your support throughout the years. It does feel kind of full circle since, you know, we started with when we left Cuba and now yes. now Isabel's story. So this is really wonderful. Yes. I'm just always happy when I see like the interview off. I'm like, oh, because oh. <laughs> you were the very first interview we did um, back in 2019. And like, I remember when I first got the um, the pitch for it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is you know the first time I'm I'm being pitched a book to interview somebody. Oh, I love that. No, it's it's been so wonderful chatting with you, and I'm just so thrilled that you always take the time to speak with me. So thank you. So once again, this has been a discussion with author Chanel Clayton. And we're talking about her upcoming novel, Our Last Days in Barcelona, which releases in the U.S. on May 24th. All right. So new releases. So this is, of course, the first Tuesday of the month, which means there are lots of books coming out. And a number of them are books that you've heard us mention on our most anticipated releases of August episode. So sorry, there are quite a few duplicates here. Um, it just kind of turns out that way sometimes. So I'm going to start with some books that Brooke is looking forward to. She mentioned Quarter to Midnight, New Orleans, book one by Karen Rose. Um, I'm also very excited about this, as are Georgina and Natalia and Christine. We also have... Wrong Place, Wrong Time, which is the new novel from Jillian McAllister, who I love a lot, so I'm also looking forward to reading this. All three books that Kristen mentioned on our August episode are coming out this week. So we have How to Fall Out of Love Madly by Jana Casale, Mika in Real Life by Amiko Jean, and The Magic of Lemon Drop Pie by Rachel Linden. These are all kind of um, women's fiction. Um, they, they kind of walk that line between romance and women's fiction. Sarah is looking forward to the new Alexis Hall. This is husband material. It's the sequel to boyfriend material, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, unfortunately, if you want it in audio, you have to wait until September 6th, which is very sad. Um, but if you're looking for it in print or ebook, it is out this week. Stacy is very excited about the new Julia Whalen book. This is Thank You for Listening. 
And Georgina is looking forward to the new Reese Bowen, which is called Where the Sky Begins. So now I want to move on to some books that you haven't heard us talk about before. Um, the book I just mentioned that Georgina is looking forward to is a historical novel, so I'm going to stick with some historicals here. We have The Dilemma by Sarah Hawthorne. This is a historical page-turner. It's a dual timeline novel set on the Isle of Guernsey, and a woman's quest to uncover some family secrets is at the center of it. This is an author that I have not heard about before, but I definitely want to pick this up. It's The Dilemma by Sarah Hawthorne. We then have Mademoiselle Revolution by Zoe Sivak. This is a debut historical novel set during the Haitian and the French revolutions um, in 1791. This is a book that I was fortunate enough to read an early copy of, and I loved every single second I spent in this world. So I highly recommend if you are a fan of historical fiction and you're looking for, you know, accurate representation of what the French Revolution could have been like, um, I highly recommend this one. It is Mademoiselle Revolution, and it's by Zoe Sivak. Moving on to some romance, we have the new Farrah Rashan out this week. This is the third book in her Boyfriend Project series. It's The Hookup Plan. I loved 2020's The Boyfriend Project. It was my very first Farrah Rashan book, um, and I was very excited to see that you know she was continuing the series in 2021, and now the final one is here. So that, once again, is The Hookup Plan. The Boyfriend Project, book three, by Farah Rashan. We also have Just Another Love Song by Carrie Winfrey. This is an author that I have heard good things about. I've never read her. I own a couple of her books. Um, but I love that she includes a lot of pop culture in her books like that's what everyone who has read her tells me that she just like sprinkles these little nuggets of things that you'll recognize you know living in the time that she's writing about you'll you can kind of point to these things and say oh yeah you know I I relate to that I've watched that I've read that I listened to this um, and I just think that is such a cool thing I see it a lot when people do it in historical fiction, like you see those little nods, but I love it, I think, just as much, if not more, in contemporary work, because they are things that I, you know, very often am familiar with. But anyway, if you're looking for a contemporary romance to keep you company this summer, um, Carrie Winfrey has a new one out, and this is Just Another Love Song. We also have a new Catherine Coulter book. This is Reckoning. It is the 26th book in her FBI series, which starts way back with The Cove. Um, it's amazing to me that this series has gone on for so long. I started reading it in the late 90s. And, you know, it's like I, I haven't read one in a long time. 
but I see them coming out and I'm just like, wow, you know, she's still writing these. Um, I personally love Coulter for her historicals, most of all, but she has written some really awesome romantic suspense um, books in the FBI series. So if you're looking for something that has kind of that like old school romantic suspense feel, you might want to check out Catherine Coulter. This one is Reckoning and it is FBI number 26. All right, so I want to move into just some straight mysteries now, not romantic suspense. Um, the Lies I Told by Mary Burton is out this week, and Mary Burton is terrifying. Um, she, I don't know, depending on how you, how you like to classify things, some people refer to her as romantic suspense. Some people feel like she is more mystery slash thriller with romantic elements. I think it kind of depends on the series or the specific book. Um, her Forgotten Files series, I feel like, does a really good job of balancing out the mystery and the romance. But a lot of her books do focus more on mystery with kind of the romance, like taking a back seat. But whatever it is, like a lot of romance, a little bit of romance, it is terrifying. She writes some of the scariest killers I've seen in modern fiction. So her new book is called The Lies I Tell. And again, it's by Mary Burton. I'm sorry, the lies I told, not the lies I tell. And again, it is by Mary Burton. We also have The Shadow Lily out this week. This is the second book in Joanna Moe's Island Murder series. Um, the series began with The Night Singer, which either came out at the end of 2020 or early in 2021. This is a series that I really have wanted to pick up and just have not gotten around to it yet. Um, but I've heard so many positive things about the first book, which is called The Night Singer. Um, so this one is a continuation. I don't know a lot about it since I haven't read the first book, but if you have, you are probably ready for the second one, and it is here. This is The Shadow Lily, Island Murder, book two, by Joanna Moe. Then, if you love Rachel Kane, who sadly we lost not too long ago, you will be happy to know that there is a new Stillhouse Lake book out this week. This is Trapper Road. It's Stillhouse Lake, book six, and it's Rachel Kane and Carrie Ryan. Um, I'm always a little bit leery when authors, like new authors, kind of pick up the work of deceased authors. Um, and I feel like that's just a, a very hard job to do. And, you know, it's hard to write in someone else's world, I would imagine, and really, you know, get everything, everything right. Um, but Carrie Ryan has done this, and I'm not sure if this is like a partial manuscript that Rachel Kane had completed before she died um, or, you know, how this happened. But I like Rachel Kane a lot, and so I will most likely be picking this one up. Um, this is Trapper Road. It's Stillhouse Lake, book six. And again, it's listed as being written by Rachel Kane and Carrie Ryan.
And I'm ending today with a fantasy novel. We have A Broken Blade. This is Halfling Saga, book one by Melissa Blair. This um, kind of reminds me a little bit of like Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Moss, just because it's about an assassin. So our heroine is the king's favorite assassin. She is tracking um, someone that she refers to as the shadow and ends up deep in the world of Fae, which apparently has a lot to teach her. This is one I will be putting on hold at my local library um, just as soon as I can because it looks magical and immersive and I'm very excited for it. So that is, once again, A Broken Blade, Halfling Saga, book one by Melissa Blair. And those are the books that I'm highlighting for this week. I hope all of you are staying safe and enjoying so many great books as the summer of 2022 starts to wind down. It's so hard for me to believe that it is already August. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.